we move across the sky to the horizon where the sun is rising, where the future is being made as light spills across the land. We see the ship sail towards it, and we see what is left in its wake. A letter penned by someone who took a very long time to think (laughs) about writing it that feels important enough for everyone to know about. (laughs) To the end, he never read a goddamn thing. (laughs) To my fleeing rabbit, my wayward bird, my wandering coyote, my mended serpent, and whatever strange thing the seasons have made of my William. Pain is a thing all who love are destined for. As a lily, I have loved countless souls and bound my strings to their fingers. It is easy to love when you are allowed to know someone. People are beautiful, and I draw deep satisfaction from making a life and holding them close. I have lost many to the river. I still feel the haunting sting of their absence, and it has never made me regret the bond. To shy from the light for fear of shadows is a cowardice that I do not possess, nor do I believe that you possess. As Travis Matigo, you confessed to me that you believed several lifetimes of loss had hardened your heart until you were no longer able to feel love or pain. Your condition is unique, but it is my professional opinion that this belief is a wishful fantasy. Life is full of moments that bring suffering and threaten despair. There are many who like to imagine that they can suffer to a point where they will never again be touched. That surrendering to their wounds is a kind of armor. Though your life has been longer and your wounds have been deeper, this fantasy is no truer for it. You must know, whether you are William Forrest's son or Travis Matigo, You are a hero with a heart kinder than any I could imagine with your life. In Nordia, I met a man willing to brave a wicked river to see me cross. A man who raced to face the terror of the sea without a second thought. You have come to play your games, made your efforts to drive people away from your side, to undo the ties that bind. It does not surprise me now that you would wound yourself attempting to twist free. However, I would hope that after my treatment, you were able to see that you have failed, that you have found yourself surrounded by people that love you and whom you love in kind. As we left that wretched town and my work was done, I felt that I had known you and that I had wanted to know more that I must know the man who would face the mariner and call himself a coward. I wanted to see the sort of man you would be if you were not made to tell yourself lies. Even without knowing, that seed might have followed a path familiar to ancient roots. But you have asked what I want, and so I will speak it plain. I spoke you an oath, and the waves bore it witness 
The water rushes still, and in its hiss those words have never faded. Twice you offered me a hand, and twice I took it. Let there be a third. Whatever was lost, let us build again. I would take love's hazards, still with your hand in mine, and face the river. To know you once again, in this life or any other. Come and find me, love. Your maiden fair and river's daughter, Margaret. Hey, heroes, it's James. Uh, Let's take a moment to talk about this arc, Um, because this arc is sort of the shadow that has been looming over the show for a year. Like I said in the mid-roll to 179, I got the email from Johnny letting me know that he wanted to step back as a main cast member of the show, and I use that language very specifically. Shortly after we concluded our first arc of recording with Nathan as Oromar, so the the silver bullet arc, it was actually after we did the world building session for Dominion. And for me, that changed everything. Uh, I, you know, sent an email back to Johnny and essentially said, hey, uh, let's talk about this. I, I, you know, at this point in my career, I know somebody does not tell you uh, that they want to move on from a show lightly. Like I said, Johnny has been with us for eight years doing this. That's such a long time. And when it's right for them to move on, you know, they know when it is right for them to move on. But there was a lot to dig into. I needed to know, you know, why Johnny was moving on. And most importantly, uh, at that stage, I needed to know what he wanted for Travis. Uh, We have built into our contracts. uh, If somebody needs to move on to the show, they got to move on from the show. We need at least two months notice because that is how long uh, it would take to set up a really quick exit. Uh, when JPC left, there was so much unexpected stuff that, that went down. Um, and thank goodness we were in the middle of an arc that I, you know, had prepared stuff for Dref. You know, uh, Tiberius was in the city of Bujanith at the time. So it was almost convenient to remove him from the show at that point because it would make sense. It wouldn't feel disruptive to other things that we were doing. It was something that we could tie into everything else. Um, but especially as people have hung with the cast, uh, they've become load-bearing parts of the show. And I think to a lot of people, Travis Madigo is an incredibly special character. Um uh, you know, I, I I will say, like, I think that perhaps for the overall plot of the show, you could argue that uh, different, you know, player characters are, are more important or whatnot. But Travis has the energy of the show. Everybody loves to talk about our favorite useless bastard man. Um, So him moving on from the show, like, 
is huge in a way that like because he's been with the show for so long like it, it it's it's so much bigger um than draft leaving um and you know i i sat down with johnny for a frank discussion of like here is what i was always seeing for travis um here is because our time is cut short like what i think needs to be done um and you know Johnny and I, and I, I will bring Johnny on to talk and answer some of your questions um, in the next thing that we air. Um, I, I, I like I wanted us to come to an understanding, understand where where Johnny was and what vision we saw for Travis. Um, when I laid out what I wanted to do with Travis, like Johnny was enthusiastic about it and um we we both came to to this determination and like the difficult thing <laughs> that uh we had ahead of us was we had just done a bunch of Travis stuff like uh you know Un Ungoni was kind of a general uhuru plot arc uh there wasn't anybody who took a big center stage there but as Johnny does he makes big choices and finds great moments of stage um but the upcoming arcs, like because we had just done Nordia and Travis was such a tentpole like focus for Nordia, I wanted the 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 arcs that we were facing next to be a bigger stage for Jonnet and Gable. And because we were adding Oromar as a PC, they also needed to be stage for the captain. So you know, we 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 had done the 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 silver bullet arc, which was like uh the the entrance for for the captain uh you know uh, to 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 put it in a certain way like this was Oromar coming onto the scene as a character but there's still so much mystery surrounding him we we hadn't dug in deep um and Dumignon I had originally pictured as a longer arc an arc that you know I was hoping not to have another arc that would approach Nordia in length um, because Nordia was very long. It was very important. It was very good. It was my favorite arc of the show. But I do think um, I do think I could stand to be less long winded in my storytelling. So I, I didn't want something to be as long as Nordia again. But like somewhere in the range of Bougenith to Nordia, I think, is my general comfort zone for an arc on the show. Ungoni as an arc was an intentionally abbreviated arc. I wanted it to be shorter. I wanted it to do things, but I wanted to do them quickly. And part of that was just the cadence of the show. After something so long, I needed something short. And Silver Bullet, I knew, would also be short because I wanted it to be hyper-focused around Oromar um, and have an action scene and, and give, you know, Nathan a stage to do all of the things in, in Nathan's uh, auditions that that were so strong with them. So I knew that was also going to be short. So I wanted to, you know, getting back into the cadence is like, OK, it's time for something longer. And Johnny coming to me with this news meant necessarily Dumignon had to be shorter. I had to take a lot of the big ideas that, that we wanted here and I had to cut them down. Um it did not feel appropriate to have Dumignon be where Travis exited the show because I mean, because of a few things. Um, one, 
this was an arc uh, that was like a bigger step on on the trail that we have for Jonnet of uh, investigating the liquid swords and interacting with the liquid swords. That had to be a big focus. And on the other hand, like uh, a big thing that we established about Dominion as a city is its connection to the fallen. Um, they literally shaped the landscape of that city. Um, and it was set up that way in part because I wanted Gable to have some business here, um, some business that was about being fallen, about the nature of being fallen. Um, and so, like, weirdly, uh, the Oromar and Travis story was kind of a backseat. Um, but all of a sudden, like, we needed to be preparing Travis for an exit. So I was like, well, I don't think... It makes sense for Travis to exit the show here, but we can make this a, a shorter arc that hints at a little bit more changeling stuff uh, so that so that we can like prepare Travis for exit without uh, overwhelming focus of the show back on Travis um, so that, you know, it, it felt like it, it's such a bad idea to have a character uh, be leaving the main cast of a show. And it feels like for a long stretch, they were the center tentpole of the show. I didn't want to create the impression that Skyjacks can't exist without Travis because that that's simply that's simply not true as devastating and difficult as it might feel to people who who are big Travis fans, myself included. Um so yeah, I, I wanted that arc not to focus on Travis. And immediately after that, like was something that, that Johnny had even pointed out. It's like Travis said that like one of the things that he hasn't seen that he wants to see is Acheron. So we do need Travis uh in Acheron for Jonnet's birthday. And Acheron as an arc had to be about Jonnet. Um it was almost a thing where, like, you you could see almost all the other characters had themselves uh, slid to supporting roles in that arc. And even the things that were about them were about them through the lens of Jonnet. Like, you know, we got to look into the captain's past um, uh, in Acheron, but we saw the captain's past through... Well, this is how you have interacted with with uh, Jonnet's family in ways that you couldn't have known or perceived. You know, we we introduced new characters that were supporting characters within Jonnet's life, um, and I think overall Travis and Gable didn't get a lot of business in that arc, and that's because that arc was so um, focused on other things. But also, when I was originally thinking of that arc, I was thinking of it as longer. Um, for, I mean, including, even including in the wood for the past three arcs of the show, I have felt rushed in a way that, um, I have not felt rushed in a long time. Um, and it has been difficult, uh, juggling this creatively, um, because I, I would see comments and, you know, as a creator, I'm not, I'm really not supposed to look at the comments, but I would see comments of people being like, wow, James really feels like he's, he's railroading people or, or, or not listening to people, or they aren't taking the time to sit and role play that I like them to take. And to be honest, 
those were all intentional decisions that were made so that the arcs that you were listening to could be abbreviated so we so we could approach Johnny's exit from the show. Um, I had contractually two months uh, of Johnny's time that we could take. And getting him to this point took a year. It took a year of production because he was waiting in line but behind two arcs um, that were intended to be longer before we would get back to a Travis spotlight. So cuts had to be made. Um, and I look back and I think there are some tremendous aspects of the Dominion arc and um, the Acheron arc. But part of me as a creator, unavoidably, I'm going to look back at those arcs and be like, God, I wish we had more time. I wish we were allowed to stretch our legs. Um, I wish that building up to the wood did not feel like so much of a sprint, but it it was a sprint, even even if it took a year. That was pushing really fast. But you know, the thing that I'll say about Johnny, he is really he really does care about this production. He really is committed to this production, even in stepping away. He wanted the story and the characters to be in a good place. And that's one of the things that has felt like such a privilege working with Johnny over all of these years is he is the caliber of performer that, that, that thinks about these things and that they are as valuable to him as they are to me and they are to our audience. So anyway, uh, the wood. So we talked about what needed to happen <clears throat> for Travis to have a climactic confrontation or something that felt like a, a pivotal and climactic confrontation. And we have hinted at the Forest Queen a lot throughout the series, um, but she has never shown up except for Courier's call. We've heard her voice. We've seen her interventions. We've seen her power. Um, she is hung over Travis like a shadow for, you know, the, the, the entire time the character has been on the show, but, but we hadn't seen her. We hadn't been in her clutches. And I thought, well, we really need to do that. Um, before Travis stops being with us every week, we need to be at threat and have everybody on the show be under her power in, in a certain way. And so it made sense to me to take us to the woods. Um, but, you know, thinking it through, there was no way that I could like it makes no sense for for even, you know, the main cast of the Uhuru just to enter the woods willingly. Like uh, there's nothing to be gained for anyone there. Um, or, you know, nothing that like felt like a natural, uh, carrot to, to put in front of those characters, to put themselves in that kind of danger and, and put their, their friends and companions in that kind of danger. So I was like, okay, well, we're doing the sweet 16 for Jonnet. Let's do a bit of a Rip Van Winkle where everybody has a party and goes to sleep and, 
they wake up and they are not where they remember and they are alone and separate um in really challenging circumstances this was also uh you know johnny is johnny um johnny is the player who uh, is so famous for let me know if this is too much um even as he was like on the way out uh he was constantly exploring and and trying things uh and ended up with circumstances that like well we have to pay, we have to pay off on the fact that uh Travis and Oromar had a bet where the stakes were being inside each other's bodies right like we had to pay off on that um it was a weird thing to incorporate into this arc um I, I, you know, I struggle with how to feel about it. Like at the end of the day, it might have been nice not to have had this like extra layer of we don't quite know what's going on um, uh, with, with the characters and whatnot. But at the same time, uh, it gave some like deniability. It gave some reasons like, well, the stakes aren't quite what the stakes are right now. Um, the forest queen might not be fully uh, uh, informed of what is going on, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like there are things that that allowed us to do that, that we couldn't have done otherwise. But it was like another beat of a lot of different beats um, to – to think through and like in some ways this arc was kind of like Acheron where it's about Travis but everybody is experiencing their things through a lens of Travis um for this arc uh uh I was inspired um by and I don't think I'm supposed to say the actual name of the monster out loud uh due to to um how it is treated but like uh god and i hate the tiktok term for it but i'm gonna go with it anyway uh the the flesh pedestrian um monster um uh that that is uh some some native uh u.s and um yeah i think it is i think it is southwest uh u.s tribes i should look that up um as a grounding um force to be in the forest um those for those who aren't familiar um that is kind of a shape-shifting monster uh it can take on the form and mimic the voices of different people um i wanted to amp that up and elevate it a little bit uh in terms of how personal it felt like when, when i talked to the performers um setting up into the wood uh there was a lot like I was trying to drill down on like, what do you personally find scary about the woods? And one of the coolest things that came out of it was I, I will call almost like a Blair Witch thing in that. Well, what was scary to my performers about the woods is that like it's hard to navigate and get your bearing and it feels so big and it is so easy to feel hopelessly lost. Um there wasn't a lot of mention of, well, there are dangerous things and creatures living there. It was the place itself. Um, so in creating those dangers, I wanted them to be dangers that could feel really personal. Um, and 
the idea of of this monster is like somewhat impersonal you know it is something that uh is appears innocuous until it is not um uh like that's at the core there there are a lot of different stories in fact some famous creepy pastas that uh use this monster as a basis where like it is trying to get in to whatever domicile that you have that is adjacent to or intermingled with the wood um so you have this like familiarity and shelter of home but uh there's kind of the relentless terror of being in a place that is so much larger than yourself and um you know can appear safe when it is not um so that that feels a little bit impersonal but it, it like it attacks you at where you are and uh you know mixing with that i had uh the part of the universe uh that like drew had kind of established with the couriers call people um uh about uh couriers call but that 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 was kind of established between them before uh he spoke to me um and for the most part like i uh, you know especially now i trust drew implicitly to add to this universe i think he really understands sphere he really understands skyjacks and gets the tone of what we're at early on there was a lot more experimentation um and one of the things that i didn't emphasize about our universe uh that like i think affected uh what drew created is Early on in our um, original session zero, which I really do think I should be able to air soon, I have to go look at that audio. It's just so long, and I, I know I have to come through and edit it. Um, in that initial session zero, the players decided they really, generally speaking, didn't want things that were not human or like different kinds of humans uh, and, and fallen aside. Um it it was you know this isn't a place with elves and dwarves and whatnot um if we're to put out a a rule book here you're not selecting um you know for for lack of a different like player species or whatever um for the most part people are people even if they've got weird magical stuff with them beneath that is their people uh and your cultural experience isn't driven by um by being a different type of thing that's your personal experience uh being driven by that like gable as a fallen doesn't have like a community of fallen um that they interact with that creates cultural differences between them and everybody else around them uh being a fallen is like something very isolating um and uh is it's like how being queer feels like in the worst environments. Um, uh, so d disconnected from from identity a little bit, uh, which brings us to the green hearts. Uh, the green hearts were like a thing that I was like, oh, no, we've created, the, you know, I, I gave Drew all this permission. He created a fantasy uh, people. And like, that doesn't really jive with what we're doing. And like, there's the forest queen to consider. W what even are these green hearts? And Drew <laughs> told me that like, oh, yeah, green hearts are people who have removed their heart and put it in a tree. And 
you know, like if changelings are connections uh, between people and animals, these are connections between people and plants. Um, and it was a lot to wrap my head around. And there was part of me that wanted to retcon it because it just it just felt so different uh, from everything else that had been done. But like seeing that parallel of like animals to plants, like actually did feel really useful and something that I had to figure out. Uh, the thing that stuck with me for a while that was hard to justify before talking it through with Drew Moore is, well, these people who had this connection to the forest and, and therefore this connection to the queen were just in Thornvale being regular people. Um, that doesn't really jive with uh, my vision for the forest queen and the type of force that she is within the world. Um, and the determination that we made that made it okay was, well, Thornvale is just different. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we know why it's different and we know how that difference works. Um, and so that allowed us to make green hearts a part of the overall makeup of, uh, skyjacks of, of sphere, um, and have them be the way they are in, in, uh, Thornvale, but not, um, the rest of sphere. And I kind of like left that to the side, like I will investigate what they could possibly be like in the rest of Sphere at a later date. And oh, it turned out to be a later date. I wanted to take elements of uh, this, uh, of of the flesh pedestrian uh, monster and tie it to this like so far unexplored thing that we had in our fiction that was directly uh, tied to or had to necessarily be directly tied to the forest queen. Um, and there's a lot that I could do with that. Uh, the idea, like, you know, knowing what you know about the forest queen, the idea of like cutting out your heart and putting it into a tree is horrifying, puts you in such a wildly vulnerable position. Um, it, it, it needed to be, tied to an element of horror that like felt so visceral um and i think those monsters are legitimately scary every story that i've read about them has been scary um every like uh video or television show that i've watched that has alluded to them has been scary they are a scary thing um and because a heart was removed i felt we had a lot of leeway to make it more personal. So the Green Hearts, um, what they did in conjunction with, with the vines and pollen in the forest is they are able to read a person's heart. They are able to read their, their fears and their insecurities. And rather than lull someone into comfort, uh, it is like still they're drawing people in with familiar signs and symbols, but it is to lull them into a place of vulnerability from fear and discomfort. Um, the idea that green hearts um, are strong, but like their power isn't the thing that is particularly frightening about them. It's that when you are seeing them, they are showing you a different face and you might not see the knife that is right in front of you coming towards you. And the time that you are feeling that is a pretty bad time. Uh, I felt like this would be useful to the queen in a lot of different circumstances. One, the queen is just a cruel uh, entity. 
and having like that, that that allows a lot of cruelty, but also putting people in a place where they are lost, they're vulnerable, they're being haunted by the worst parts of their lives and themselves. Uh, that is a place where someone in desperation might turn to make a deal with the queen. Um, and the queen can't really just take people unless they they make deals make exchanges or the she the people need to be navigated into a place where it is proper for the queen to get what she wants from them uh so this felt like a useful tool to do that and everything sort of clicked in place so it was like okay what is going to happen people are going to be alone they're going to have an encounter with green hearts and then we need people to make a desperate escape attempt um and this is where I wish we had more time in the arc. Uh, you, you, you'll hear the first recording. Um, we had our party of uh, like NPC characters because I was like, it's not just uh, Travis and uh, the captain's council who are in the forest. Everybody is in the forest. People from Acheron might even be in this forest. Um it got swallowed up. The forest like lunged forward and ate a part of this town and took people into it. Um, so I wanted to have a focus like splitting between the each individual person uh, and their experience of the forest and the crew, like keeping in mind that the crew was having adventures with the forest. We ended up only having time to record two real crew beats, and they were so far apart from each other that uh, we forgot a lot of details, which stinks, in my opinion. I would have loved to, rhythmically storytelling-wise, uh, been able to cut to the crew more often and, and shown, like, the harrowsome path that they had to take Um to find and secure the Uhuru more um, because everybody else uh, was having a really personal journey um, through the horror of this forest. Um, you know, the captain was, was facing his past and choices. Jonnet um, was once again uh, going up against his insecurities uh, and the places that he might've failed. Gable uh, was contending with their past and the responsibility that they feel for all of the people who are in their life. And Travis is, of course, dealing with Travis stuff. Um, so what ended up happening in the production? We, we had that, that first episode that we recorded and scheduling wise, uh, the, the party was split. And I actually felt like, well, Johnny wants to be on the way out anyway. Um, I don't think it makes sense to have everybody at the table all the time so splitting the party so i can record separately with different people makes sense um i think the party was split for about as long as it should have been split the individual sessions uh that i got to run with nathan and tyler and liz and johnny um felt really good i do wish i had one or two more sessions with everybody all together um so we could have done more crew stuff and there could have been a, a bigger to do with with the finale scene. Um, but uh, let, 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 let's move back a bit. Um, talking about splitting the party, I did not know how I wanted the party split going into this arc. Um, 
there was the thought uh, that I had that like, well, we did just do an arc where Travis and the captain spelt, spent a bunch of time together. Um, uh, but it feels like more could be said there. We actually found some really fascinating things about their relationship and connection. I feel like putting those two together could have made a really compelling arc um uh if if those two had been together in each other's bodies um i feel like that would have been fun uh you know if this if we were the sort of production that were making lots and lots of money uh like like tens of thousands of dollars a month there is a part of me that would uh dip down the the fan fiction hole and be like okay Let's do an alternate universe where Travis and the captain were together in the forest instead and see what that would have been like. Um, but that's that's a very self-indulgent thing. Uh, there's also the thought that Travis and Jonnet hadn't really got to spend a lot of personal time together since the very start of the series. Um, Travis and Jonnet like got to spike those cannons together and didn't really get to be a, a, a buddy some pair. like they did to do a little bit in Bujanith, but like there could have been more personal time between those characters um and i sincerely wish more of that had happened in acheron but acheron had to be about jonnet we had to have guest performers there sadly was not time for it um which is unfortunate, but I would have liked those two characters to have spent more time together before the end there. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, Jonnet and the captain actually hadn't gotten a lot of personal time together yet. And Travis and Gable are too important to each other for, for me to have kept them separate for, for the whole arc. I feel like the audience would have felt cheated. Um, and I do kind of wish I had another session, uh, with just them or another half session with just them because so much of their time together had to be taken up by combat. Um, I just wish getting Gable that panacea fruit could have been more of a, let's like like a a moment that kind of reflected the moment where uh travis was very injured as a bird and gable like stayed up late talking to him to keep him conscious and alive uh to transform in the morning um i wish we had that but i do think what we got was valuable um and, you know, going into the arc, these characters had like these these big significant things. Travis still had Gable's name. Uh, Gable was the only one who saw Travis's letter, which was a request that Johnny made. Um, I had the letter show up uh, at the end of the Acheron arc. And I my in my mind, it was like, OK, Travis is going to read this, go to sleep, I read this and probably make the decision like I actually probably need to leave the Uhuru and go find Margaret and then wake up in the woods and the arc would be desperately about him trying to escape so that he could do that. Instead, Johnny made the request like, Hey, I don't know that Travis feels that he has the strength to read this. Let's have Gable read it. And we did have Liz literally read it and know what was in it. Um, and 
Gable will just have that information and these characters are going to have to struggle to come together. Travis will eventually get the message in that letter and that will, you know, lead him on. Um, but Johnny had to do it Johnny's way. Um, and I think the tension that, that that added to the story was actually very authentic to Travis's character. I It's not that I think it would have been wrong or bad to do it the way that I had originally envisioned it, but like, I'm glad that we did it the way that we did it. Um, it felt very Travis. Um, and it also felt very character growth and evolved Travis to have the strength to ask someone could you read this for me? I don't know that I can face it. Um, and and for that someone to be Gable. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's how we divided the party. That That's how we went through things. Um, I want to point out, I did not expect there to be a combat, a confrontation with the Morning Star. The, one of the reasons that that ended up being a more cinematic combat is the thing that I wanted to do was pay off on the vision that Jonnet had, um, where Gable was trying to tell Travis that he can change fate. And the way that Gable approached that is like, I'm going to have Jonnet have a vision about me. Um, and I am going to intentionally subvert that vision to show you that this is possible. Um, and so we had set up this thing, uh, with the morning star that, uh, <sighs> Originally, I had envisioned that it was a lot more vague, um, but Liz Liz had made private decisions as Gable, and I respect that. But, like, the Morning Star and Gable had this connection. Something happened. Gable fell. The Morning Star is still in heaven. Um, and the Morning Star was going to come down and basically be like, hey, I can offer you forgiveness. I can offer you absolution. Uh, we can go back to the way things were, you can make up for the things that you did. Because right now, the things that Gable knows is they killed God and it destroyed the world, more or less. Um, and that they used to have this connection with the Morning Star, and partially through that is why they made the decision to kill God. I wanted to put that in front because I wanted uh, Liz to be able to affirm that like, no, Gable, Gable's path is not with this, but I wanted the temptation to be more significant than it ended up being. Um, but that, that is also fine. Uh, and it led to a real confrontation, like the way that Gable approached the morning star, there was no way that things weren't going to come to blows. Uh, so that cinematic combat had to take place and like Gable was injured. Um, it was the middle of like this, this big thing. I needed to honor the fact that the morning star is extremely powerful, but also somehow explain why they were able to narrowly escape in, in this combat. And I think, you know, Travis really coming into his own as, as the changeling embracing the fact that he is a luminary, um, I, I feel like we did that, and I'm happy with that, even if that is definitely not something I envisioned happening. Speaking of things that I did not envision happening, um, so I knew, and I had spoken to Johnny about this, we knew that Travis was going to live through this arc. Uh, that, like, you know, D Dice could have fallen in a weird, unsurprising way. We could have been 
shocked at the results, but like both of us were, were pretty firmly of the opinion that Travis's story does not end here. This is just the, the portion of Travis's story where it separates from the rest of the crew. Um, so I did not expect that two different characters would promise that they were going to kill Travis, uh, this arc. And for a big portion of it, and I kept this to myself at the table, I was like, what are you doing? Do you think Johnny is, do you think Travis is going to die this arc? Why have you done this? Um, and I, you know, it, it's player choices. I got to respect player choices. I let them dig those holes, but I was like, I don't know how so many people in our PC party have promised to murder Travis for the forest queen uh, in a, in a situation where both me and Johnny are pretty firm that Travis is getting away, uh, from this situation somehow. Uh, that was incredibly funny. Like I couldn't believe it. Uh, I let it happen. And I think it, it, it uh, carried off pretty well. Gable does still have like an Ocust promise, um, uh, which, you know, I think like ties into their whatever we do, we do together uh, uh, type thing um, that I think is justified. But like, man, some baggage showed up with some really unexpected choices. I did not expect uh, Oromar and Jonnet to be the ones who would go approach the Forest Queen. I expected their, their priority to be finding the ship. But, you know, those individual sections broke down in really interesting ways. Um, and I ultimately really like the ways that they broke down. So lastly, let's talk a little bit about the future. I am sure everybody is uh, in different ways and parts shocked and sad and nervous about what the show looks like without Johnny and without Travis. Um, Travis is or Jesus, Travis, Johnny, as part of his exit agreement, um, has signed on to do the recordings that are all the rest of Travis's story. Um, I really see Travis's story concluding, uh, 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 you know, necessarily with him having to come together with Margaret and addressing that fact, uh, there are a couple recordings involved in that. Johnny has signed on to that um, and signed on to like other necessary things that are part of the series and ideas that we were discussing before he started talking about, you know, exiting the show. So Travis as a character, his story is not over. Um, his story will continue. Uh, we know this. It There is pen and ink behind it. It is going to happen. Um, so if you're like, wow, this, this didn't feel satisfying. Hey, guess what? I got great news. There's more Travis Matigo to go. But what this does mean is that Johnny is not a force at the table as a regular player. He is not with us, um, at every recording session and there are going to be large swaths of what we record upcoming that, you know, he, he's not there cause he's not a, a regular cast member anymore. Um, uh, we have already started recording the next arc. Um, we've we've got some interlude pieces uh, that are towards the end of this arc uh, that are recorded or, or you know, like our, our regular bottle episode stuff that is like emotionally debriefing from this and, and tying up uh, bows and ends um, before hopping into the next arc. 
uh, we've recorded kind of uh, an interlude arc, like one of those shorter, moodier Shank Hill style um, uh, arcs. And the next recordings that we do will be the start of the next arc legitimate. However, on the feed for a little bit, uh, you are going to be hearing our a sample of the Sky Joust miniseries. Why do I describe it as a sample? What, what you are going to get is the first part of at least one team's story. Um, uh, the way Sky Joust is set up uh, to make things really uh, explicitly and abundantly clear. Um, I've got four different teams. Each team uh, is introduced in a session where they face off against a team of NPCs. So everything that is happening is focused on that one team and their story. Um, you are going to get uh, at least the burning tales, like full, complete uh, uh, NPC story presented. Then once they uh, have those games against the NPCs, uh, they move up in the tournament. So those are all quarterfinal matches. Um, then we move into the semifinals. And for the semifinals, uh, player character teams will face off against each other in PvP matches. Um, so, you know, you will have time to sit with these teams, learn about these characters, become attached to these characters, and then you will see them fight each other. And like I've said uh, the whole time, Every team is great. All of the performers are great. If you are a Patreon subscriber, you already know which performers that we've we've cast. You've you've gotten an early look at these teams. They're all really cool, and you will have good reason to root for all of them. Um, it is going to be devastating to listen to those PvP matches. It was devastating to play them out. Um, I had players tell me that it was some of the most intense experience they've ever had role-playing uh, because of how real and serious uh, the stakes felt to them. I am so tremendously proud of this series. I think it is going to be great. I think you are going to love it. Um, so you're going to get the entirety of of the Burning Tales story to like kind of establish uh, the world, as it were, of Sky Joust. Um, then uh, we are going to, I'm going to give you a sampler of like maybe just the first introductory episode for uh, the remaining three teams. And after that, we are going to come back uh, with the, you know, rest of like uh, the bottle episode stuff for this arc and that interlude arc and continue the main story of Skyjacks. Um, through all that time, uh, you know, me and the cast will be recording it. Um, we'll be putting together other like, uh, special events and, and bonus content things because that gives us a large swath of time. This also gives Casey, um, a lot of time to have the sabbatical that he has so desperately needed and, uh, so richly deserved and earned. Um, so, you know, Casey is having that time off. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm hoping we will step back into this arc, uh, or into the show back with like most of our elements in place and you'll be able to enjoy the show, um, the way, the way the show has always been. Um, so you're going to get these samples of Sky Joust. Uh, it will take, it, they will air for probably two months. I know that everybody's attached to the main story of this show. 
I request, please, please listen to Sky Joust. If you like what we are doing here, I promise you that you are going to like this. Even if sports isn't normally your thing, even if anime isn't even normally your thing, like this does continue the story of a lot of different characters that you have come to know and love uh, through listening to Skyjacks and listening to Skyjacks Courier's Call. Um, and although the stakes are different, they do feel really real. Uh, and I think if you let yourself care about these characters, um, you will be richly rewarded by the performances of everybody involved. Uh, I'm I'm so, so proud of this series. So, so you'll get that sample, that initial thing. Then we will return to the mainline story of Skyjacks and Sky Joust will split off into its own feed. And you'll get the entirety of, of that story on that feed. Um, uh, except for the, the championship match, which will be its own special thing. And that'll be a sky joust concern. Um, so that is kind of my thoughts, uh, about this arc and the stuff that went into producing it. And also a weird explanation and apology. If it is felt like some of the arcs of sky jacks, uh, have been off for you as a listener, They've been off for me as a game master. Um, I really want to, I want to have another Nordia. I want to have another arc um, where we've just gone through a big change and we get to some time to really sit with characters and follow player decisions and let the show move itself instead of uh, sprinting towards a specific narrative goal. The last thing, that I will say, and I really don't want to scare anyone with this because this is still a long way off. Because we are concluding Travis's story, that does mean the end of this mainline Skyjack storyline necessarily has to be in sight. Um, and what do I mean by that? Travis, you know, is a load-bearing character. He is elementally important to this show so much of the show and world have been built up around johnny's performance and travis's character there is only so long it is responsible to keep the show going after travis exits the show this isn't the sort of thing where we're going to pull out the rug from under you and 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 start sprinting to end the show really quickly. It is the opposite. Like I said, I want time for us to stretch our legs and whatnot, but we are going to be moving towards like our our um our end point. And knowing the 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 pace at which I like to move and the way that we record, that might take that might even take a couple years. Um but we are going to have to conclude the show because it it does need to happen. Obviously, campaign is still going to be here. Obviously, we're going to do something else. And again, you're going to be with us for a long time. Um, but we're going to do big, exciting things in upcoming arcs. Uh, we're going to move the world in interesting ways. And you are going to be able to witness uh, how all of that shakes out. Um, so there are going to be a lot of uh, exciting and surprising twists and turns um, coming up. Uh, but yeah, like like I said, everything is under control. 
at the beginning of this arc. Big scary things are happening, but everything is under control. And this is ultimately what we want to be doing, uh, what we are proud to present to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sticking with us all of this time. Um, I would like everybody to give a really warm and hearty thank you to Johnny for eight years of some truly incredible character work. Uh, you know, this is a guy who, before I started playing with him, had never played a role-playing game. We got to play a couple sessions of a Pathfinder game um, together before I started one shot and Kat was looking for people to, we were, Kat and I were looking at people to do Star Wars things. And I was like, well, I know this guy who hasn't played a lot of role-playing games, but he is phenomenal. And the few sessions that I've played with him, he really knows Star Wars. And it's Johnny O'Mara. Um, and, you know, he did that and like maybe two or three total episodes of one shot. Uh, but his character record is pretty much Lenik Gilo and Travis Madigo. Those are the characters that he has played more than any other. Uh, what a what a legacy. What a creative powerhouse. Um, so give him your thanks. Give him your appreciation. Uh He's, he's, you're still going to hear him. Um, and the things that are ahead for that character and that performer, I think are great. Um, and I can't wait for you to hear them. Also this, because it's one of the few times where I get to talk directly to you, my, my audience, uh, please tell people about the show. Please tell people about the show. Please help us grow the audience of this show. It is so much easier to make this show if we have a big audience uh, for it. Um, and I'm going to do everything uh, within my power to grow our audience. Um, but the more support that I get from all of you, the better. So with that, remember, there are no kings. Take flight.